Can I talk to you about toilet rolls, please? Um, if you must. Yeah. So I live in a house with four children, three of mm. whom are teenagers, one of whom's away at the moment. But, mm. you know, it's still the same effect. I think something happens to them when they go into the toilet because their hands don't work when the loo mm. roll runs out. So <laughs> they don't seem able to replace it. And then if they do actually manage to put a new one on, they just toss the cardboard inner to the floor somewhere. It's near oh, the yes. bin. Yes. It's in the bin. Yes, we have that all the time. And the other thing they do is they, they come and steal the loo roll out of my yeah. bathroom and then you're on the toilet, reach it, and you're like, oh, for God's sake, and you knew it was there this morning. And they God are... forbid you would be the only person in the house with a teenager because they won't come in the bathroom for you to give you another no. toilet roll, will they? Because <laughs> no, they'd no, be definitely not. horrified and shocked. You'd die there like Bridget Jones, wouldn't you? You'd exactly. die on the loo a waiting sad, for someone to replace lonely it. death on the toilet. <laughs> It's infuriating. Anyway, that's how my new year is going so far, Trish. <laughs> Lovely. Lockdown new year. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Welcome everyone to Postcards from Midlife 2021. And hello to all our new listeners, especially those who are joining us from all the corners of the globe. Yes, we want to say a big thank you to the wonderful midlife women who are sending us messages from as far away as Canada, Hong Kong, Australia and America. It's lovely to get to know you all on our Facebook group and via our Instagram. And I assure you, we do personally read all of the messages. Yes, our community is wonderfully supportive and it's expanding. I'm really proud to start 2021 knowing we are making life a little less complicated and a little less stressful for other women tackling those midlife health and happiness dilemmas. Anyway, on with the show today and we've got a corker for you, haven't we, Trish? We have. Now, if you thought I was straight talking, Trish, wait until you meet our guest. Mm -hmm. She is the beauty guru and midlife influencer, Caroline Hirons. Yes, I'm really excited about this one because we're going to be delving deep into the tricky challenges of mothering teenagers with Caroline, who has four children aged 16 to 29. So she has seen it all and in the process become one of the most influential women in the beauty world. Yeah, well, we seem like amateur parents in comparison, quite frankly. Now, today we are also going to be going into what I call beast mode. I love that word, Josh. <laughs> and discussing how to harness your fear when you hit your midlife. How can you use your fears to parachute yourself out of your comfort zone and make the most of every day? And for our How to Win at Midlife section, we're going to be looking at the questions you should ask yourself about relationships after 40. And it's time to find out if you're in a romantic rut. Is that you, Lorraine? <laughs> Perhaps? I don't know. I think I should rather not say. Hopefully I won't be after our chat mm -hmm. about small changes you can make in a marriage or relationship when you reach your 40s and 50s to keep it healthy and happy. It's like you and Neil looking well, at the goldfinches in the garden. It's the goldfinches, but it's also we've been watching Bridgerton together. <laughs> Which is an interesting I thing say. to do with your other half. Is it? It's quite frisky. Do you have to get sit apart on the sofa well, just in we, case things take a turn? Well, we tend to sit one end of the sofa leaning sort of the opposite way, but his hand did reach across during one of the episodes. Does he say, put some clothes on, woman? <laughs> get your corset back on. <laughs> now... As you know, Trish, I am a little sceptical of self-help books in general. And actually, one of my pet hates on this front is this mantra, feel the fear and do it anyway, which I think is a bit of a ridiculous phrase. I don't really know what it means. But in midlife, I have been thinking a little bit more about fear and how to handle it. I think you become more sensitive to all your emotions in midlife. Um, and especially as we've been living through these unpredictable and probably quite fearful times. So I do think that fear is an extremely powerful and useful emotion, don't mm. you, Trish? Well, I do. And I think, you know, to, to your point about self-help books, I know you're not a super fan, but you just have to look at the amount of them out there yeah. <laughs> that are about fear, vulnerability, 
to kind of know that they're obviously it's huge part of everybody's emotional and sort of psychological makeup and but the key thing is as you're kind of saying is how do you first of all recognize what your fears are understand them and then harness those fears and get on with stuff I think what are you afraid of Lorraine (laughs) I'm not I think I would be a good person on a desert island because I'm not physically fearful of much really not spiders the phobia side of things, oh, I don't care about spiders, none of that I, I'm not bothered about no, that no I'm not bothered about that but what I am a little frightened of is being alone mm. so mm. I have this thing I do when occasionally when I think oh my goodness what if something happens I mean I actually don't really like being alone on my own doing things mm. <laughs> anyway I think that's because I need an audience but I what I do is um it's like a to-do list I take myself back to the times when I've been on my own and I've done something really Mm -hmm. fearless. And then I was thinking about this, knowing we were talking about it. So I came to London at, I was just 17 on my own, found a job, Mm -hmm. got myself into journalism, worked on a local paper. So that was something I did on my own. So it's not, why is it a fear now? Because I've done that on my own. I gave up a full-time job to go freelance, which was kind of the beginning of my career in journalism. I was on a local paper. So I just gave up the job and decided that I would go freelance. And then I got a job on a national paper. And that's when my career began. I did some really big stories as a news journalist. I once went to America on a drugs bust Mm -hmm. with the DEA to cover it. I was covering for the BBC and for um, the Daily Mirror at the time. And I just did that on my own. And I must have been Mm. about 21, 22. And I just think of those times Mm -hmm. when I've done things on my own where I would have been a bit fearful of how that was not fearful of failing, fearful of actually doing it. So I'm not scared of kind of anything physically, Mm. Mm -hmm. but I am a little bit fearful of that. So I think you have to you read around your fear, don't you? And then remember Mm. the times when you've conquered it. And mm-hmm. it spurs you on. Does that work for you? Too? Yeah, I think it does. Because I think as women, we're socialised as children to be yes. afraid, aren't we? Because, we you are, know, we, as girls, particularly, because yeah. all things parents tell their children socialise them that and they should, you know, for girls, it's like, you have to be terrified, you have to go out and you have to fear the worst that something's going to happen to you. Obviously, we want our children to be careful we want our daughters in particular to be careful and you know that means we do things as women isn't it we're really careful if we're walking home from the dark we wouldn't go out for a run at night all of those things that make you physically fearful which men I think they're not frightened of it's that a really amazing uh, Margaret Atwood quote isn't there which she says men are afraid that women will laugh at them women are afraid that men will kill them Exactly. So there's that yeah. kind of the physical <laughs> side that I think lives within us as women. But then to your yes. point, it's more about your fears, your vulnerabilities, the things like loneliness, things like aging, perhaps people might be afraid of. Fear of success. I think women can be a bit fearful of success because it ties into that, you know, the, the idea of being judged. And, yeah. you know, the more successful you are, the more sort of out there you are, the more exposed you are and, and the more judged you are. So I think sometimes there's a potential to kind of well limit your potential in fact because what do you, you do fear. then to get over well, your fears well i read this thing a while ago and i found it helpful is that you first of all you define your fears because because otherwise it can end up in a bit of a jumble can't you just like, i'm feeling anxious and i'm feeling fearful and i don't know what it is so if you kind of work through it and define what those fears are and then you do a bit of a reality check like you did where you say okay what's the reality about this you take each one and you you say what is the reality about this would this really happen if i did find myself in this situation how would i respond so you're giving yourself practical tools aren't you to deal with the fear if it should so happen come to life do you read books i've got a few of the go on you my you hero my warrior women on the yes, fear front so on, you'll know who these are so yes. um obviously oprah yes Everything she writes, all the mm-hmm. podcasts, very good on fear. Esther Perel is very good mm. on fear. Brené Brown. Yes. And then my new one, I love her, Glennon Doyle. Yes, who, you've mentioned her a couple of times. She's having an impact on you. She mm-hmm. is having an impact, but she's very good on fear, anxiety, bravery, and that kind of thing. I guess the only time I've come close to panic with fear is... Do you remember when you have your first baby and you come mm-hmm. home from the hospital and you put them on and we had her in the car seat and we put her on the floor and I just was overwhelmed with mm. fear thinking what the hell will happen if I can't knowing it was my responsibility to feed her mm-hmm. breastfeed her what will happen if we can't feed this is another life this is this is not a cat or a dog it's not Margot mm-hmm. or Pixel this is that that is a time I remember great fear but then I guess once you've done that 
once it's not so fearful the next time mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. I, I fear death and loss quite a lot sometimes and you know i'm keen on the death maths your death maths yes exactly very me. existential and mortality my own mortality mm-hmm. there's a load of books youtube is particularly brilliant actually for people talking about fear and all the yeah. ted talks is there anything yeah. that you well yeah but Brenny, as you say Brenny brown she's done a lot of ted talks but there is a documentary on netflix called the call to courage she is really good because she so gives you these kind of tools you need to think about things in a bit of a different way and uh, you know you're talking about your death maths she talks about like getting to the end of our lives and asking yourself what if I would have shown up in that very American way showing up so what would it you know what would my life have been like if I hadn't been held back by fear and vulnerability and she's also very interesting I think on shame you know and how women experience shame very differently um, and how to actually change our behaviors in more effective ways for handling anxiety there was also a podcast uh, called do it scared by Ruth back to Bridgerton (laughs) (laughs) do it scared <laughs> Ruth Sukup, S O U K U P, and um, that's about facing fears and overcoming adversity. But you know what? A bit of Bear Grylls, I think, is quite. I love Bear Grylls. He takes people right out of their comfort zones. Yep. He talks about his own fear and anxiety. And it's like watching those programs, like I'm a Celebrity. This the one this time yep. that really made me laugh with that lovely Jordan North, who was absolutely couldn't yep. even like get past getting well, out. He was of the, sick at the top the of the cliff, wasn't he? <laughs> Just as he got out of the car before he even started. But all his like, I'm in my happy place, I'm in my happy place. <laughs> and seeing, actually being yeah. able to see how people deal with their fears like that on TV, I think is really interesting. So I do that with my open water swimming. It's one of the reasons I carried on doing it. I had a bit of a panic attack in a lake when I first learned to mm-hmm. swim because I couldn't really swim properly. And I thought, I don't like this. I'll overcome this. I'll go, I'll keep going back in till I overcome it. And one of the things they teach you in very cold water when your heart almost stops and you can't breathe, because it takes away the ability to breathe mm-hmm. very cold water, is to have a mantra. Mm-hmm. So in that moment when you're frightened, and my mantra is I am at ease, and I just have to say it about nice. three times. And obviously the nervous system recognizes it now. It's a kind of practiced thing. But actually, when you're fearful in other situations, I often say I am at ease. And it's like a psycho- it's a physiological thing that kicks mm. in. It's like a program in my brain now. So that, I think, is quite a helpful thing to do. And also learning to breathe properly is really yes. good. Yeah. Yeah. I talk to a lot of teenagers about this, learning to take three big breaths that start from right yeah. in your stomach and expand your chest and then you everything slows down. But obviously, if you have fears that you really feel that you cannot overcome, you've tried some of these yes. techniques, you've read the books, you've watched the TED Talks, etc. It is worth obviously speaking to your GP, maybe so, yeah. finding out about some CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, because that's very, very effective for fears. And then I found a, a good website called mentalhealth.org, which has some really good yeah. advice advice and connections for overcoming fear and anxiety. And I think one of the reasons we are talking about this now is there was a post on our Facebook group where a lady talked about how she was absolutely fine. And then suddenly when she hit Mm. her mid forties and experienced perimenopausal symptoms, became very frightened of things, frightened of getting into a car, really inexplicable fear, Mm -hmm. which is I've read about and heard about many times from women in midlife on the groups that I'm on and actually from some of the experts we've Mm -hmm. interviewed. So I think if you're in that place and you may need some professional help because it's part of the hormone decrease but it is easily overcome if you get the right support Mm -hmm. when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
And now it's time to meet our guest. Businesswoman Caroline Hirons is a 51-year-old mum of four children aged 16 to 29. The down-to-earth mega blogger began her career on the beauty counter at Harvey Nicks 23 years ago. You magazine crowned her the most powerful woman in beauty last year, and her book, Skincare, The Ultimate No-Nonsense Guide, is a number one bestseller. In fact, millions of women regularly watch her beauty videos, but we're here to talk to her about her midlife journey and the perfect storm of parenting teens. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Caroline. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Now, I have been a fan of yours for a long time because you just say what lots of people are afraid to say. You just say it straight. Most of your stuff is rooted in science. It's very practical and you have a very realistic attitude to everything. But I think I'm a bigger fan of your parenting actually, because you've lived through four teenagers and you've got a granddaughter who's four months old. So I thought it might be good for our listeners to take you back to the beginning. Tell us about that first teenage with Ben. What was that like? Probably not the sort of best example, actually, because Ben was not a perfect child, but just a really, really good kid. All of my kids have struggled with school, not from an educational standpoint, from the sort of always wanting to be more inquisitive and sort of speaking up can't think where they get it from shocking (laughs) no (laughs) but in terms of you know his personality it was nothing out of the ordinary the usual sort of grumpy but I do think there is something in the fact that he was a boy yeah boys are different with their mums as teenagers so you you're 51 now how old were you when he was say 13 14 then 34 35 I was 22 when I had been so that's quite young to be dealing with a teenager was there no shock because they're quite nice in their childhood after the baby bit to the teenage bit suppose at 35 you're not too far away from being a teenager yourself in your mind you can remember it well yeah and I think I always have empathy for teenagers because you do remember what it was like you know it's not the best time of your life let's face it the biggest stress for me with my children has always been around school getting the right school and are they happy at school and that's for me been the biggest stress as a parent like continuous stress yeah you know the sort of oh god we've got to apply for the schools and of course I've had four children across 15 years the rules were different with each kid the advice on how you feed a baby was different with each kid the school application was different almost with each kid. So everything has almost been a different learning experience. In my experience, boys are softer on their mum than teenage girls who are satanic. Now, when you look back at your life story, though, you've gone through quite a lot of what I would call, I suppose, challenging and slightly traumatic events in many ways. So your mum was diagnosed with cancer when you were 14. You have had three miscarriages during your maternal life. Maybe take us back, because so our listeners get the background on it, on your early 20s and who you were before you started your family at 22. That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. To be honest, I was always looking for someone to start a family with. That's how I wanted to start my life. I always had it in my head that I would have two kids before I was 25. Really? My, hus- my husband calls Quite me- unusual for this generation. My husband calls me a ridiculous type A person. It's like you take it too far. <laughs> But I did. I had two kids before I was 25. (laughs) You had a job, though, at the time because you were training. Yeah, Yeah, you were working. Yeah, I've always worked. I've worked since I was 15. The only time I didn't work is sort of during the late pregnancy months. I was always just kind of working, ready to settle emotionally, never ready to settle work-wise, always trying to see what else I could achieve or what else I could do. Or, you know, the ambition there is kind of borderline psychotic. Let's face mm. it. I knew I wanted to have children and, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to. So never taking it for granted. And then you met Jim then. So he must have been in agreement with that, having kids so young. Well, I was 19. He's six years older than me. Right. So he was 25. When we had Ben, he was 28. Definitely ready to have kids. And I think that's why we kind of came together. We both had the same sort of vision, I suppose. Were you financially up to dealing with kids at that age? Because Oh, God, no. Quite... No. no. God, no. You're never up to People dealing always with say, kids financially, don't they? let's face it. <laughs> When's the right time to have children? And, and you could say when you can afford it. But actually, there's no right time, is there? No, and especially when you live in London. You know, the fact that we've raised four children in central London was miraculous to me. You know, it's only since I started working for myself sort of 10 years ago that we've been able to not borrow from parents regularly. If you wait for the right time, I don't think you'll ever have kids. And being a parent of older children are older than teenagers while you've got teenagers and you've got kids in their 20s and you're a grandmother what's it like being a parent of a a proper grown-up who's out there living their own lives interesting weirdly enough my 
two older boys because we had two boys then we had a gap and then we had Ava and Max and Ben and Dan are far more vocal and angsty with me at their current age than they were at teenager years Mm. so you know I try and say to them I know in my head that the saying is when your children are younger you're a manager and as they get older you become a consultant (laughs) and I try to say to them I'm just trying to be a consultant and they're like I don't need you as a consultant I'm like okay all right I'll just go put the kettle on then whereas with Max I'm very much a manager you know, you don't mm-hmm. get to consult with me. You're 16. Shut up and bring your dishes down. We're a really close, tight-knit family. All the kids are each other's best friends. We're kind of like impenetrable in a healthy way. And yet opening and warm because obviously I have a daughter-in-law and we have a granddaughter. And so she just gets treated like one of mine. And I've known her since she was a kid. So that's helpful. But she knew what she was getting, put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's it like having a baby in the dynamic once again? Because those oh. years can feel really far behind. Once you get to teenagers, you can't even remember the it, baby days. It is the best thing oh. ever. I read mm-hmm. something that said, grandchildren are God's repayment to you for living through the teen years. <laughs> <laughs> True that, yeah. True that. And it is, you know, I had people saying, oh, are you going to tell people your grandmother? You know, aren't you? I'm like why would I be ashamed of being a grandmother? I'm only 51. You know, it's like (laughs) my mom was a grandmother at 44. Mm. Um, So she is an absolute dream. It's the best. And of course you can hand them back. The only difficulty is of course, not overstepping the mark because you've been there and you've done it. I had to say to my son at one point, Oh, stop moaning, please wait till you've got four. And he's like, that's never going to happen. You know, because obviously they've never known what it's like to be sleep deprived. <laughs> no, no, it's quite a shock for, I guess they're millennials, aren't they? You're older yeah, too. Yeah. It's quite a shock for millennials, I think, sometimes to be sleep deprived and, yeah. you know, they're like, not oh, in charge of their time. He'll say things like, oh, she went down at 11 and she was awake at five. I'm like, babe, that's <laughs> been sleeping through the night. That's amazing. <laughs> One of the things that you've talked about, which I love, and you do it on your social media and in your videos, which I think is really healthy and it's really inspiring for people is that you have never really felt guilty for working when your children have been growing up and you've worked very hard for everything you know run your own business but when I hit about 45 I started to really think back through my working career and I've got four kids and we had a nanny who looked after them while we both worked and I look at moments sometimes and I think God, maybe I should have been there. I've never felt guilty, but I started to feel guilty before I had a word with myself at that middle point in life. Did you ever have those moments in your midlife, in your 40s, when you thought, have I done this right? Have I done this wrong? No. (laughs) (laughs) Just a blanket no. I know that Jim and I have done our best job. I know that we've been as open as we can with the kids. I know that, you know, we have four children who know they can say absolutely anything to us, and they do, trust me, (laughs) to the point where sometimes I have to go, all right, Call myself. I don't do guilt. You know, there's the odd thing where you think, oh, I forgot that it was school picture day or things like that. But that could happen if I was at home looking after the kids, you know, not just because I'm at work. The kids know as well. You know, I I think the best example I can set them is to show someone who's trying to live their best life, working their arse off Mm -hmm. and stands up for what she thinks is right, says no, doesn't say yes to everything. Like those are the kind of things I want my kids to pick up on. And I think they have almost to... (laughs) too strong an extent in some of my children it's quite a robust self-esteem though I guess is that from your mothering from the mothering you got all I got from my mum was pretty much unconditional love Mm. like 24 7 and I know sadly how that's not common practice I mean if I stabbed Jim my mum would say (laughs) well he must have done something to deserve it love (laughs) I've always known that if everything went tits up I could move home even now Mm. with four kids if it all went tits up I could go yeah mum you better move the dining room. We're coming home. She doesn't have the same self-esteem. So she worries for me. And that kind of winds me up because I see it as her trying to undermine me. And she's not at all. She's just trying as a mum. Her instinct is to, oh, be careful, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. What are you worried about? What's wrong with you? you, I learned from you. You were the one who would go onto the shop floor and say X, Y, Z and da, 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 da. So I think that as she's got older, she's obviously mellowed, doesn't have to be quite so forceful or strong in that way but emotionally strong yeah I come from a line of strong women for sure and do you see that in your daughter she's a psycho (laughs) (laughs) this is the time to explore the teenage girl versus teenage Mm. boy dynamic Mm. with mums she would be the first to admit it too my mum said that someone asked her my godmother who's been my mum's best friend since they were three asked her what Ava was like earlier on and my mum said she's like Caroline but more (laughs) My godmother apparently went, oh, God. And it is. It's like my mum was forceful. I'm me. And Ava is an, another level. 
I mean, I'm mm-hmm. kind of impressed, but also I, I do the thing that my mum does, which is, oh, don't go too hard. Be like, be careful. She's like, well, I'm fine. I think, oh. But girls yeah. are a bit meaner, I think. And that's because they kind of, they have to reject more of mum than they do of dad. So they have to be meaner to you to separate from you. How yeah. do you deal with that meanness? Because it's hard, isn't it? You've got to pick your battles with teenage girls. Otherwise, you'd be in a permanent conflict situation. It's much better now. Ada's 19, but the years, so I'm like 14 to 16, I could have killed her yeah. on at least at least a weekly basis, if not more often. I used to feel ashamed of those feelings, though, when mm. I thought I'm going to kill them. I used to think this is a terrible thing for a mother to feel about a teenage no. child. No, I say to her, you absolute bitch, you say that to mm-hmm. me again, I'm going to knock you the fuck out. Mm-hmm. I, like, that's the kind of comment. And she would be like, you're so mean. I'm going to tell dad. I'm like, you tell dad. Let's see what if he knows what side his bread is buttered on, shall we? You go after. You try and come between me and dad. Like, that's the kind, you know, now mm. I, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, why don't you just go ask dad? And he's like, why are you bringing me into this? Don't, because he'll just give her anything. I mean, he, you know. Yeah, she's, it's the different... prin- she's the princess. Yeah, It's difficult because sometimes you do have very negative feelings about them when they're behaving like that. And you can sometimes say, oh, God, I, I just don't like them at the moment. It's really conflicting as a parent, isn't it, to kind of recognise your children's faults as well as their strengths. How do you manage that? Well, with Ava in particular, I've always just been open with her. As much as I say they can say anything they want to me, I expect them to let me have the same opportunity. Mm -hmm. I've said to her, look, I love you. I would die for you. But if you talk to me like that again, I'm going to knock you the fuck out, bitch. Mm -hmm. Like literally. (laughs) And then she'd be like, you're so rude. And then she'd slam doors, but she knew she was wrong. Key thing here with girls, and let's not forget, let's not let them get away with this. Girls know how to push your buttons way more than boys. Well, they've been watching you since they were born. They know exactly what they are doing. So there's no sulking in your family? No, no, you'd never get away with sulking in our family. You'd get Mm -hmm. the piss ripped out of you. The, The sort of closest relationship I see that sort of mirrors the way I am with my kids is Sharon Osbourne and her kids. (laughs) Right. <laughs> like, open open swearing open banter yeah. but the love you can feel the love through the tv mm. when you're watching it like they know if anyone came for them i would i would kill for them i mean i would die for them you know everyone would but that's what how any parent feels but we're passionate people and with that you get why are you being such a dick you know mm. it's that kind mm. of and the irony is you know my mother never never swore in the house my parents never swore in the house never swore at me Never once. I think my mum once slapped me around the face and I'm sure I deserved it. With Ava then, you've not had that fear that I think a lot of mums of teenage girls have that there may be an eating disorder in the waiting, that she might be suffering from anxiety. All the things we're kind of bombarded or told may be risky for our teenage girls, perhaps more so than boys. You've never had that trickling through your mind that you couldn't deal with that or that that was a risk. I don't look to the media for how I should raise my kids. Yeah, I go by my mm. own instinct. We've certainly had instances where she was a teenager and she'd say, God, I'm so fat. And I would say to her immediately, no, you're not. You're gorgeous. What are you talking about? Look at you. And I'd make her stand in front of a mirror and just hold her body and go, look at you. And I'm sure that's down to just good luck. You know, I have friends who've had children who are anorexic and I know there's nothing you can do as a parent to prevent it teenage girls get such a bad rap but in my experience they're all very very supportive of each other there's no sort of slagging each other off the way we did when we were teenagers in the 80s you know she's no slag on social it's much more their comments underneath their instagram pictures are always like bae and you're so hot and this Mm -hmm. kind of thing so i've never had that concern no and what about your phenomenal success and this phenomenal personal brand that you've built up Caroline and your influence in the beauty world is just really to be applauded how have your family reacted to that they've been there watching you build it and do it and to see you with your millions of followers and on tv and writing top-selling books and things well they tell me they're really proud I mean when I got the CEW award I took two tables full of people because my family is one table, because there's six of us, plus my brother and that kind of thing. And then I took my team on the other table. All the kids were there all proud as punch and screaming and shouting in a way that's very, very unlike CW. <laughs> <laughs> that's because cosmetic um, executive women, isn't yeah, it? CW. Yes, yeah. yeah, it was like getting an Oscar, a beauty Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're very proud of me because also I'm very aware of not betraying their confidence online. I don't yeah. talk about them negatively online. People know I had issues with Ava, but... 
never the ins and outs or that just Mm -hmm. the general oh my god teenagers that kind of generalizing anytime I put anything up that they weren't happy with if they didn't if they said can you take this down I take it down immediately I've always had that respect for them I respect them as individuals I just won't be bullied by them Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's your schedule then because it's it looks to me from outside kind of relentless do you get up very early do it and then spend time with the family or do you have the kind of we have to have family meals what are your kind of daily schedule then because I just wonder how you fit it all in since lockdown it's sort of been easier in a way because I'm at home all the time without lockdown there's certainly been good period where I was building the blog and working with clients where they would sort of say, you're not listening to me, put your phone down, because I was just 24-7 on my phone, looking downwards, holding my phone. You know, the way that normal parents would talk to their teenagers, it's the other way around with me. And so I've definitely had to listen to them and say, I'm sorry, what were you saying? You know, and then, of course, I got diagnosed with ADHD last year. So that helped me realise that actually I wasn't ignoring them. It's just that my brain was already taken up. (laughs) How are you managing And I always got medication. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) How do you avoid burnout then? How do you, uh, to use the hideous phrase, self-care, how do you manage your stress looking after yourself? I'm good at saying no. I could easily be much busier than I am. I say no to 99% of things I'm asked Mm. to do. Mm-hmm. My self-care is saying no and having really strong boundaries like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, my work is my life, so I don't see it as work. I just see it as what I'm doing with my life, mm-hmm. if that okay. makes sense. Yes, and the does, kids know yeah. that. The kids know that and the kids see that. And if something is too taxing, then I just don't do it again. Mm-hmm. It's really simple. You know, if something's been too much, I'm just like, oh, I'm not doing that again. The kids and Jim would be the first people to say, you're knackered, you need to stop. Or this is taking too much of your time. Is it worth it? You know, that kind of thing. And I always take their advice because they're the ones who have to live with me. You don't drink, do you? You're no I did drink at Christmas time lockdown drove me to it but no I'm not I drink like champagne or Prosecco if I'm feeling cheap on occasion (laughs) you really kind of what you put in your body really healthy in it on a day-to-day no No. I don't eat a load of crap I just watch what I eat if you know what I mean yeah people talk about weight and things I always think well I could weigh a lot more if I really ate the way I wanted to you know I had to really check my sort of diet and I don't mean like dieting, but yeah. what I ate when menopause hit. Mm, because yeah. I remember watching something, it was a female gynecologist, and I just saw it, it repeated, basically saying that alcohol is the worst thing that menopause yeah. a woman can drink. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I haven't drunk for a while anyway, and there's obviously a reason why I naturally moved away from it. Yeah. And so that was just easy. I don't need it. One glass of champagne too many, know, and you've just terrible. like crap for two days. I mean, when I was 17, 18, 19, and working in HMV in London, we would go to gigs after work, go to the after show party, stay out all night drinking, and then go straight back into work yeah. the next day in the same clothes. <laughs> that would put me in hospital these days well yes exactly so that brings us to midlife menopause you are brilliant on hrt you mention it all and i think you were one of the few people who mentioned it over the years yeah what was your perimenopause menopause journey when did you begin to think i think i should get this sorted out well i thought i'd need to get this sorted out around 2016 2017 because i piled on weight and I wasn't really eating more. I mean, I was craving things like carbs more, which I now know is classic perimenopause. I had no idea. I just didn't know, you know. Had you heard the phrase um, even before? Because we hadn't heard the phrase no. until to our doctors. Yeah. My skin started to change around 40. I started getting acne and things like that. And that's what kind of changed really? my direction yeah. of career as well. And that's why I ended up going back in and retraining in skincare. So that was interesting, you know, having to sort out your skin when you're 40. But now I know it's one of the most common complaints yeah. women over 40. Onset yeah. allergies and acne. And they're linked. Out of nowhere, I got a shellfish allergy. Out of nowhere. I was raised in the mm. South in America. All we ate was shellfish, you know. I just kind of thought, hang on a minute. You can't keep buying a size bigger in clothes and not do something about it. You know, it was when I was looking at clothes and thinking, because I'm already really tall and I have a really big, heavy build. That's the surprising foot. thing about you, isn't it? When people meet you, they say, oh, my gosh, she's so much taller in real life. <laughs> Yeah, because when you're sitting on a camera, you just look normal. I'm 5'10". I used to be 5'11", but after max, my feet went a size bigger and I shrunk an inch. So I am shrinking <laughs> with old age, literally. <laughs> Did you go to your GP? Uh, yeah, I went to my GP initially and said, OK, I think I'm in menopause. And luckily I had a female uh, GP. So she put me on a form of HRT, but she gave me estrogen. Now, I've since found out, of course, because I then went private because it wasn't working for me and it sent me Dulali. Yeah. I've since found out that what I needed was progesterone, like a lot of women do. And I already yeah. had plenty of estrogen. So up until last year, I had plenty of eggs, was having periods, and my estrogen levels were high. They were called high. This year, they're on the floor, like my shop is closed. But the NHS put me on 
estrogen my boobs were so sore and swollen that I had to stay off work I couldn't go to the office and my team know if I'm not in the office something is really wrong I was bleeding really heavily and so two friends of mine who had been individually for separate things said you need to speak to someone at somewhere like the London Hormone Clinic they made me have very specific blood tests before I even had my first appointment so that you go to the appointment with your bloods done so they can diagnose you rather than having like 15 appointments just to get some diagnosis and yeah they basically said this is at the beginning you've got plenty of estrogen you're adding more to the problem you need progesterone stop taking it immediately we'll give you this da, 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 da. and ever since then I've kind of been I, I say sane my version of sane at 51 whatever that means <laughs> but it's a lot isn't it your business is really blossoming you've got teenagers in the house and you're going through this up and down up and down of the whole hormone thing what's your advice for other women going through that because it's the perfect storm for possible yeah. cataclysmic either breakdown of family or breakdown of you or breakdown of marriage or breakdown of career isn't it my what I've kind of always lived by, which is look after yourself first. Yeah. You know, I'm not here to be a martyr. That kind of parent is no use to anyone because if I'm not functioning, then the family doesn't function. I learned that early on. So take care of yourself first. I would definitely recommend giving up booze. It's not hard yeah. at all. And you feel yeah. so much better for it. I gave up caffeine again, just things like that, like decaf, no booze. And people think it sounds really boring, but actually it's Creeps. not. It's, it's, mm. it's much more fun because you're aware of everything and you take stuff in and you're never tired that kind of horrible yeah. tired mm -hmm. where you're hung over and my productivity when I gave up booze went through the roof I mean I was already busy yeah. but now mm -hmm. I'm just like a the ever ready bunny I'm just like okay what else are we doing let's go mm -hmm. you know I message just... my team and I say I've, I've had an idea and yeah. they go oh god <laughs> they run for the hills what now <laughs> Caroline you meet so many women or you speak to so many women you interact with women constantly you have done your whole career really yeah. haven't you from sh shop floor and, and all your beauty yeah. work any sort of universal truths and concerns that women have have that they share about maybe perhaps about aging especially as we're into our 40s and 50s I do struggle with people who have a sort of public profile and don't like to talk about their age I find that intensely hypocritical I mean Joan Collins I kind of get she's like 87 <laughs> or something you know but by then surely she you would might give it up be and just older be like she's so fabulous yeah. like share do you see what I mean? Like, why wouldn't you just go for it? Jane Fonda. What I, what I don't like is the whole, she looks amazing. I feel so bad about myself because I don't look like that. My mum said something like that about Jane Fonda. And I said, mum, she's had like four facelifts. No, <laughs> really? I'm like, mum, that's, it's genetically and scientifically impossible for someone to look like that yeah. at that age. I'm not having a go at her. I'm just saying, let's not pretend it's anything other than great doctors. I'm not trying to take anything away from Jane Fonda. She obviously eats really well. She's always exercised. She's a phenomenal woman. And I've never heard her deny she's had work done. Don't get me wrong. Is that what women mostly ask you? Do they mostly ask about ageing? What's the kind of overriding thing? It depends on their age. If they're older, it's ageing and dark circles and pigmentation, because obviously that's when it starts to come out. If they're younger, it's pause, always pause. And I'm just it's like, pause, I can't say yeah. I've ever noticed your pores no. do you have a mag mirror and they say yes I use a mag mirror to do my makeup and I'm like bin it or just use it to pluck your beard when you're a bit older <laughs> like yeah. don't be looking in a mag mirror to oh. look at your skin the only person oh. who should be looking in the mag mirror is a facialist or a doctor mm -hmm. you know there's no need of course your pores are going to look huge you're in a mag mirror <laughs> So it depends on their age. But yeah, older women tend to talk about, you know, sagging. And the thing is, there's such a stigma around intervention. Yeah. A lot of them say, oh, I couldn't possibly have Botox or filler because they're worried about how they'll be judged. And I'm yeah. like, why? I know, if you're, if I you're that concerned that. about it, the only thing that will fix it is this. This cream will help the texture of your skin feel great. And this cream will help the tone. But there is nothing that can replace the fat in your cheeks that's now swimming around your chin. Nothing. <laughs> or your knees, even. It's gone all, all the way knees. down. Oh, all the way down. <laughs> we can't let you go without beauty advice for these two midlife women. So you're looking mm -hmm. at me and Trish on the Zoom, the dreaded Zoom. What's your advice for two early 50s? We're still clinging in to the early 50s women and their skincare routine two very pale celtic i think we are aren't yes we? i think Irish so, yeah. and Cornish. what's <laughs> what's your advice for us 
the gold standard for sort of anti-aging, and I hate that term, but until we yeah. have something that makes people immediately know what you mean, is sort of vitamin A. Oh, you yeah. can do wonders with a vitamin A, a retinoid, and a facial oil on top. You'll, you'll wake up glowing and be like, wow, I actually look quite hot. This, you know, that's what you want. You just want, she has you just been want to watching. look like the best version of yourself, you know? Mm. Fish is on to the hot thing. She's been watching Bridgerton. It's oh, yeah. tipped her over. <laughs> I think that's her theme of this episode is hot. I, I swear to God, I was not expecting that. Oh, oh, you've been amazing, Caroline. Thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> Thank Good you for having me. Now we've reached the how to win at midlife section of the show. And this is where we bring you practical advice from an expert. So pen and paper at the ready, if you've got it around at the moment, because this is important. It's time to tackle something we often take for granted in midlife, and that's our relationship with our partners. Yes, if you're married, living together, co-parenting, starting again in a new relationship, or even single and out there looking for love, we've asked an expert to talk us through the kind of quick ways that you can refresh your relationship mindset, whether you're in one or how you want to approach one. And I suppose it's a bit of a spring clean for your partnerships, really, isn't it, Lorraine? Yes, I think even if you're in a long-term relationship or you're starting again, you maybe get into a rut of thinking around romance Mm -hmm. don't you so I've been married 20 and a bit years Trish but Mm. we've been together maybe 25 I would say what about you oh I can actually beat you at that one we've been married for (laughs) 25 years in April and we've been together for 34 years where did you meet? Uh, Brighton Polly, 1986. Oh, on walking a across the ca- No, walking across the campus. We sort of kept sort of eyeing each other up across did the you? campus. And then uh, I think it did actually happen in the student uni eventually. Oh, when, it, when, when it finally I know. Wasn't that exciting? It was 19. It was a baby. Was oh, a my baby. goodness. You've been with Neil since you were 19. I, I haven't explored this before. I'm quite excited about this <laughs> yeah, yeah, thread quite, of um, our conversation. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so, no, we've... Uh, yeah. Up ups and downs of course like everybody but it sort of still works I thought I would speak to an expert rather than just you and me labbering on through yabbering on so I spoke to a relationship and parenting therapist Dr Kalanit Ben-Ari she works out of her centre in North London now she has over 20 years experience working with couples and families and she has some very useful and easy to follow tips which I think are particularly good for the time we're living in and I hadn't really heard before so Mm -hmm. I think they might be useful so the first one that she mentioned to me is the daily check-in now it sounds obvious doesn't it but first thing in the morning ask how can I be there for you today how can I be there for you this week of your partner Mm -hmm. you need to initiate this discussion yourself and you need to do it with proper eye contact and take a moment to really listen to the answer so what you're not doing is problem solving or fixing a diary but actively listening to what your partner thinks and feels about what has happening so what you're talking about is feelings not facts so it's appreciating them and connecting to them with kind of kindness Mm. and love I hadn't really thought of saying what can I do for you today Mm. in terms of anything more practical than what, what do you want for lunch would <laughs> yeah. you like a cup of tea another yeah. cup of tea can you can you put a loo roll in the in the toilet yes. please yeah that kind of yeah. thing yeah and then this phrase she used which I think is really good to sort of check in in your own mind you don't have to say it out loud is you have to ask yourself are you a source of safety and pleasure for your partner in this relationship can you truly say yes to that I am definitely a source of safety and pleasure if you can't truly say yes then maybe think about the reasons why not? And this is good, Trish. Mm. No less. Ooh. So we think we know our partners in midlife, mm-hmm. but do we know our partners? Because everything is changing. You've changed, they've changed, mm. but you haven't really considered what else has changed in our lives. So we think we know them well, but perhaps we should think of we know them less because so much has changed. So you need to be a bit more curious, if you like, about them. Same kind of curiosity you were at the start when you didn't really know anything about them. Mm -hmm. So the focus would be what he is, not the focus of what he likes or what he wants. It's more about who is that person now? Assume you know less about them and be curious and find out more. Mm -hmm. And she also said that talking is dangerous. Listening is better. Oh, listening. Same with parenting, isn't it? It's all about listening. Asking more rather than talking is productive. And if you're going to talk, talk about you and your feelings, not how you feel about him. So a lot Mm -hmm. of therapists say this, don't they? Don't argue from the kind of you did, you said, you were. Argue from the I feel, I think, I would like uh, point of view, which I think, you know, it stops you blaming, it stops you shaming, and it, it makes you own your 
own feelings and experiences, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And eye language is very, very important. Mm. Softer, calmer, more positive, gentler eye language. Eye language, what's that then? How are you look looking at, at people? Looking at properly. them, seeing people. Look at seeing me looking people. at so you in your glasses. <laughs> You're glaring at glasses. me across the Zoom screen. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's that that's really nice. And it is you're right, you forget how to talk to each other, you get caught up in the kind of day-to-day sort of life. Yes. And I think there's that thing as well about the reasons that I fell in love with him and I want to be with him are also the things that really annoy me sometimes. Definitely. Because it is that sort of he's he's this very outgoing, loud, funny, he's got such a zest for life. He nothing's a problem, he's like, oh to hell with it. Whereas I'm obviously a bit more serious than <laughs> I have no zest for life whatsoever. Obviously, sometimes that isn't appropriate, but it's just kind of like I had to kind of remind myself. And I think especially when you're going through like those child rearing years, which was so hard. And yeah. I do feel like I maybe perhaps, um, oh, it's like a therapy session, is it? Built up a bit of resentment because you you, yeah. you start feeling like I am doing more. I am carrying more of the emotional stuff. I am physically yeah. doing more for the children. And he was sort of there very present, very much doing things, but he still carried on with all his hobbies and all of his life yes. and all that kind of thing. But that's not his fault, is it? It's not his fault, but I I blamed him and I did sort of yeah. think it was his fault, but that was the kind of, because I wasn't seeing him and listening to him exactly. and checking in and he wasn't doing that with me as well, probably. So the other thing is to bring novelty to your life. So... Mm-hmm bring in new pleasures, new hobbies, new ideas. It's that idea at the end of the day, you've got something to talk about, isn't it? That you yeah. hadn't talked about a million times before. And this idea also of bringing in a new energy. So being a bit more upbeat, being a bit more positive. <laughs> being a bit more Neil. Being a bit more Neil. Yeah, mm. we should all be a bit more Neil. And she also advises, I love this. I do do this, actually. It's very annoying, I think, sometimes. But the high energy hello. Because mm-hmm. I've noticed from all the teams I've managed that if you bring high energy in, eventually it, it's contagious. It catches on. Everybody starts to become jolly and cheerful. So, But it can be a surprise and it really changes the mood. So a big positive hello in the morning I think mm-hmm. it's good and then there is the slightly more tricky elephant in the room so this is something you don't talk about mm-hmm. this is something that may you may be avoiding talking about so if you just keep it's going to come out somewhere mm-hmm. that's what uh, Callanet said to me she said it will come out so you should just gently ask I wonder why we're not talking mm-hmm. about why you haven't blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Bring it in and listen well, and it will gradually be easier to discuss. Now, the other thing is, and we talk about this, Trish, don't we? We've gone really new agey today because we do do this. Um, Mm. Dreams and visions. Mm -hmm. What are your dreams and visions? Because in midlife, they totally change. And they're so different when you get older. But could you talk them through? What are your dreams and visions for the day, the year, the family? Bring it into the conversation. I think Mm -hmm. that's a really good thing to do. And you know what's good for that is a dog walk, I find. (laughs) Do you find a dreams and vision dog walk? Dreams, vision, dog walk. And I think dog walk in general, because we got the dog when the kids were about 13, maybe, when you can actually leave them at home and go for your dog walk because they're not going to want to come with you. And we've just found that to be the time that we talk about dreams, plans, all of that kind of thing. It's a really nice, nice moment to do it. It's that it's almost like because you're doing that side by side walk. Like car journeys, we do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. She that. does recommend two really good books, which I think are worth getting. Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. And this is the one you'll like, Trish. Hot Monogamy. Oh, yes. Like in the sound of Patricia that. Love and Joe <laughs> Robinson. Patricia yeah. Love, that could be my new name because yeah. I am Patricia <laughs> Now, worth saying that obviously in these podcasts, we we sort of do recommend lots of things, lots of people, lots of podcasts, lots of books. And now we are going to be listing these each yes. week on the Facebook group. So every Sunday we put up a post about the, the this week's podcast and on there you will find a list of all of these links and connections. Yeah. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group now's your chance to do it. Yes, because we know that you are either in a car or on a walk when you're listening to this, and it's quite hard to jot down or remember what we're telling you. So we thought we'd be helpful journalists because Mm -hmm. we are trained helpful journalists and put it all in a list for you so that you have something to refer to. Right, Trish, are you ready for a little nostalgia noodle, a little trip back down memory lane? Always love our little trips down memory lane. Shall I tell you what I've discovered? Go on. Something I want to buy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I'm like. I have found a retro 
retro shoe. Right. So it's just, it's gone away and it's come back and then it's gone away and then it's come back mm -hmm. again. So do you remember, you might not remember these, but they are brilliant, the candies. Quite like mm. the name, you see. Is that, is that the connection? Is it a family business? No, no, they were called the candies and they were little wooden heels. They were kind mm. of like shawls with yes. a heel. Right. I don't so, know how anyone ever wore a, sh a shawl without. No, well, so I don't want to talk about shawls because <laughs> there should have been a fashion intervention <laughs> with them. But um, the candies have, mm. they're, they're quite cute. They're kind of probably came before the wedge, but they were a 70s shoe that mm. were massive in the 90s. And they're starting to come back again for spring. Oh. Now, I guess you would sort of call them boho. They're the kind of thing you wear with a flared jean. Mm. Anyway, what was fabulous about them in my nostalgia noodling was quite extraordinary is I looked at the advertising campaign mm. for the candies in the late 90s, 1996, starring Jenny McCarthy, the beautiful oh, blonde yes. supermodel. Basically, it's a picture of her on the toilet on the actual toilet with her pants round her ankles reading the newspaper yeah. wearing her candy yes now it's all coming back to me yeah that actual image <laughs> so what bizarre. do you think was going so do you think that was perhaps a group of men Mm. In a room, mm. thinking Maybe. this is the way to advertise yes. some cute wooden shoes. Yes, and Put that um, girl on the toilet. It's very strange. I think what else is strange is your ongoing toilet theme for this episode. Yes, <laughs> starting with the Louvre. This is lockdown <laughs> for you, isn't it? The Ending lavatory with... is the room that's annoying me the most. Oh, <laughs> during lockdown. Well, I I went into the bathroom, into the bathroom, not toilet, the bathroom for my nostalgia noodle, or maybe oh, the dressing back. table. Oh, we're talking 1980s here. So mine is country born hair gel. And I don't what? really, really, it was a thing. And the reason I know it was a thing was I was out on a uh, socially distanced walk with my friend Lara um, last week, and she mentioned it. And I was like, I didn't think anybody else knew about it. And it was this hair gel that uh, it was in a glass jar. It was the first time I'd ever discovered hair yeah, gel. I, I remember use. this. Did you remember? Yeah, glass jar, green, a bit like yeah. slime. Country had a really, really nice smell. And I had this, like, just, oh, this is it. This is going to make me fabulous. This is like when you're 14. And, you know, I had this awful haircut. And I thought, right, I can, I can sort of gel it and I can make it spiky and punky and look really, really cool. And, of course, it just... It just made it a bit sticky. <laughs> didn't make it stick up. It used to get stuck to everything, didn't it? The whole of your <laughs> top of your thing, everything. Oh, but I, I did like the smell. And, and it also made me recollect this um, at the same time, this sort of thing at school where there's this gorgeous girl called Carol Barnes. She was so pretty and perfect, a lovely little bob and dewy skin <laughs> and big eyes. And she went it's home. It's gone Joan and Jerrica on us now, look. She went home on a Friday like that. Carol did. Carol came back on Monday morning with a proper practically Mohican spiky hair and big black eyeliner. It was... <laughs> And I think that was something more than country-born gel. because The power been... of country-born oh, gel to transform a woman. Thank exactly. you for that, Trish. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please do tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and rate and review us too. And don't forget to join us on our Facebook group or on Instagram or you can email us too at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.